Um, today, here's where we, we will start. I want you to begin by making a list of people in history. Oh, Jambi, good to see you. So my eyes being weird today, so I'm not seeing people very well, but <laughs> good to see you all. Make a list of people in history that you think were terrible. Don't write it on that piece of paper, okay? That piece of paper is for questions. This, this question is for you to ponder on as we continue with the conversation. A list of people in history that you think were terrible. And just start imagining, what do you think God felt about them? So we're in the series, Our Most Welcome. Good to see you. She never got to walk down the red carpet. George, come on. Most welcome. Welcome back. Okay. Okay. Now, no one should distract me anymore. So, <laughs> we're in the series. Uh, 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 we've called it God Has a Name. Here is my working invitation. God is a person. He's not a force or an idea or a concept or nature. God is a person, meaning a relational being who wants to be known and who wants to know you. God wants to be known to you and wants to know you. And so I keep inviting us to, to realize that one of the ways we know a person is by their name, their character, and their story. Do you remember that? Let's say that again. We know people by? Yes, those are very important ways to know people. Why is a name a big deal? That's what we've been covering the last two Sundays. The theology of our scripture is that there is only one creator God above all things, worthy of worship. Only one creator God above all things, worthy of worship. And there are other spiritual beings and entities, all created by God, that people sometimes worship. It's what Paul calls so-called gods. They exist. And so it's important to know God's name. You know, when people say, oh, I'm, 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 I'm religious, but I'm uh, sorry, I'm spiritual, but I'm not religious. Which spirit? There's so many. Oh, yeah, I think there's a God. I'm not so sure about this, this church thing, but I think there's one God. Yeah, which one? There are so many ones, right? So that's the, that's the journey we've been on. But also, I've been inviting us to realize that a name, unlike now that names are like, like labels, names uh, 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 were, were, were markers of character and identity. You named someone, you named a child to say, to speak prophetically over them, to say this is who they are at their core. Even for God in the scriptures, his name talks about his character and his identity. So, which also marks him apart from all the other gods. Because his story and his character is completely separate from those of all other beings that people could worship even today. So, of course that brought up the question of the other gods. And we looked at a book of Job and we looked at Psalm that talks about God sitting in judgment over the other gods of, of the nations. And so someone asks, you know, in the book of Job, we see, you know, a very interesting interaction and God seems to hand over uh, Job to Satan to suffer. So someone asks, does God still hand over uh, people to Satan and does Satan still show up in God's presence? Uh, very quick, very quick answer before, you know, I don't know. <laughs> 
However, I do have something important to say about, the, uh, about that question. The book of Job is Hebrew poetry. Okay? Poetry uses language to draw images. Some of the important things that, that the writer of poetry wants us to know is that one, God is overall. That no entity, no spiritual being has authority or power that has not first been given to them by God. Nothing has authority or power that has not been given to them by God. Two, it's in the same vein of the conversation we've been having. They act in rebellion and against God's will. They're in rebellion and they're against God's will. And, and, and so they do things that are opposite of what God wants. And, and most importantly, like we see in Psalm 82, they do not have the best interest of creation at heart. That's the drama that is being painted in the book of Job. That these beings do not have the best interest of creation at heart. Jesus taught us to pray, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Some of what Jesus is saying in that prayer is that earth is the place that God's will is not fully done all the time, but a time is coming. That's part of the theology of the kingdom. And so Jesus is inviting us, pray because we are partnering with God to bring his kingdom come. That's partly also why Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. Because these beings, just like human, human beings were created with a will, freedom of choice, and given dominion, they, were, they also have a separate will, freedom of choice, and given dominion, and they are in rebellion. And sometimes they exert their will, which is never in the best interest of creation. So uh, in this world, you will have trouble. At the same time, right after that, Jesus says, take heart, for I have conquered the world. See, the story of Job actually ends with God bringing comfort and swift justice. So let's not get lost in all the other things that are happening. What exactly is the right of Job trying to say? God will bring comfort and swift justice. So take heart, for Jesus has conquered the world. In Psalm 82, you know, again, uh, uh, God is sitting in judgment of these creatures. They're not doing what they were created to do. And someone asked last weekend, you know, we look at our, our, our leaders globally and they're causing war. There's corruption. There's, you know, all sorts of evil. And they're asking, is the Bible talking about them when, he say, when, when the Bible says rulers of the nations? Or are they ruled by these spiritual beings? Here's the thing. Every time the Bible talks about rulers in high places, it is not referring to human beings. Human beings are not gods. I keep saying that because it is so important. We are having this weird philosophy going around. Uh, it's, 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 in, it's, in, it's on social media. Uh, very famous people are saying it. And I've heard it a bit here. We are not gods. We are, we are the image of the living God, and we will talk about that, but we are not gods. So even when scripture talks about rulers in high places, it is not referring to human beings. However, or in addition, uh, human leaders, like all human beings, we can partner knowingly or unknowingly with 
these spiritual beings. So some of these leaders indeed partner with these spiritual beings, and therefore they, they together cause havoc, war, uh, uh, pain, and suffering, and, and, and sometimes it's so much so that they mirror each other. That's what's going on. The other part is some of these areas and institutions are, do, uh, and, uh, are domains of these spiritual beings. That's why, you know, you can change the people in there, but the nature of that entity remains the same. Let me give you an example. <laughs> we change politicians in Kenya every five years. And they get in there and they all act the same. Right? Even the ones who are in opposition, calling out the government of the day, get in there and they act the same. What's going on? Right? Because the entity itself uh, uh, is, is already captured or a domain of these spiritual beings, and so it has a nature of its own. And, and remember how, how the psalm ends. Come and judge the earth, O Lord. God is promising to bring swift justice, which is actually what we will see with Jesus on the cross because he brings justice. On the cross, Jesus is victorious. It's not a loss. It's not a momentary loss. No, on the cross, Jesus is victorious. Okay. So Moses asked, God, show me your glory. God says, I'll do you one better. I will proclaim my name. Because the name of God is alive, as we sang today. Let's stand and read scripture together. We're reading from Exodus 34, 5 to 7. Usually slides show up, you know. Uh, slides? Exodus 34? Okay, why don't you open it up in your Bibles and let's read together. Um, if you have an IV, that would be perfect. Okay, if you have it, Exodus 34, verse 5 to 7. Are you ready? Let's read together. Uh, if you don't have your Bible, that's okay. Just hear us as a community read over you. Is that okay? Ah, it's a... Okay, let's read in whichever version this is. Okay. And Jehovah descended in the cloud and stood with him in there and proclaimed the name of Jehovah. And Jehovah passed before him and proclaimed, Jehovah, Jehovah, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness and truth keeping loving kindness for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. And that will be no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and upon the children's children, upon the third and the fourth generation. Blessed be the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Okay. So God is saying... Uh, that this is my name, 
And this is what my name says about me. Name carries character. God is saying, this is my name and this is what my name says about me. Today, we'll focus on, on uh, just one line. We'll start focusing on the character of God. God gracious and compassionate. So today, we're just focusing on God being gracious and compassionate. We'll start by looking at those two words. So compassion, uh, the word used there is rachum. Uh, it, it could also appear as a noun as rachamim. Both words um, uh, uh, are related to the Hebrew word for womb, which is rachem. Okay, so Healy speakers, can you hear something familiar? Rachem? Rehema, right? That's why some of the other ways to translate that word is merciful, okay? So those are the words that this... this uh, that, that are used here. What the Hebrew, what the Bible is inviting us to, to hear is that how God feels about us is equivalent to how a mother feels for a child. The emotions God has for us is equivalent to those of a mother to a child, that deep, inexplicable, bond of mercy and compassion. One example is in Isaiah. Can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she bore, she is born? Though she may forget, I will not forget. Don't you forget about, you know, like here's, here's what God is saying. Listen, a mother is, is breastfeeding. Could they forget their child and not have compassion? Impossible. But even if, let's just stretch it and say, well, some human mothers could forget. Even if mothers could forget, I won't. I, the feelings I have for you, what God is implying is that the feelings I have for you, my children, is one of a mother to a child, and I would never forget you. It is inexplicable. It is unbreakable. It is mercy. Then there's the word gracious. The word used is chanun. So this is related to another Hebrew word called said uh, chen. So Hili speakers don't, this, it, that's where it ended. It ended with rehema. Don't go, 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 go. No, it's not hen, hen. It's chen. Anyway. Um, and the word, that word can be translated to grace or favor. Grace or favor. Now. This implies giving something to someone because you giving something favorable to someone. Like if you give someone a good gift, you favor them because you delight in them. You're just happy with them. And the extreme aversions of hen or grace in the Bible is when people receive gifts they don't deserve. Simply because the giver of the gift delights in them. So, what is God saying? My name is Yahweh. And what that says about me is that my baseline emotion towards you is mercy. And that I will always act favorably towards you. Not because you deserve it, but because that's who I am. 
My name is Yahweh, and my baseline emotion towards you is mercy, and I will always act favorably towards you, not because you deserve it, but because I am delighted in you, and that's who I am. If you ever wonder what God feels about you, it is not anger. If you ever wonder how God acts towards you, it is never malice. He has your best interest at heart all the time, all the time. Remember, we started by saying uh, the, the way God introduces himself when he says, I am. He's saying, Moses, whatever you'll find out about me, I am perfectly that. I am always that and I will always be that. So now we're finding that God is gracious and compassionate. He's perfectly that, always that, and he will always be that. That's why we get the, 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 the interesting uh, Christian needs thing. God is good and all the time. Let's switch in some of the things to saying God is gracious and all the time. God is compassionate and all the time. That's what Yahweh is trying to remind us here. And then for Yahweh, these two are tied together. He's not gracious sometime, and then sometimes not. He's not merciful to you sometimes, and then sometimes not. But also, he doesn't end at mercy. His mercy causes him to act. Mercy is an emotion word. Gracious is an action word. These two always go together. Because God is merciful, he always acts. Human beings, sometimes we feel things. And then we just walk away. We are emotionally stirred up. We see pictures of people crying, dying. Oh, how sad. And we do nothing. Even when we could do something as simple as pray. Is that, is that not true? Let's go, oh, sorry. Someone comes to us, oh, I have had this guy. Oh, and we feel compassion. And we go, oh, God be with you. James says, you know, don't do that. <laughs> uh, the, the brother of Jesus, in a letter he writes to the church. Like, it's not enough to go, oh, you're hungry. God be with you. Mercy should be coupled with grace. Sometimes also, we act graciously, but it has nothing to do with how we feel. You know, you, some people greet you with a hug and a kiss on the cheek, but they really, really dislike you. Or sometimes we do nice things because human beings, we are more concerned with looking good than being good. So we do nice things. We feed the hungry because, oh, maybe there are cameras around, you know. Uh, we, we serve in church because you were scheduled or, you know, whatever. We sometimes do nice things, but it has nothing to do with compassion. But for God, these two are always tied together. He's always perfectly and always merciful and perfectly and always gracious. So last week, I keep interweaving the questions people ask in the, in the talk. Somebody asked, okay, if, if, if we're invited to see this as the character of God, what do we do with the fact that, that, that there's so much violence in the Bible, even David killed in the name of God? There's this idea, as people read scripture, that God is a warmonger, angry, and just, you know, out for blood. What do we do with that? And that's not just with our generation. We're not the first people to ask that question. 
in the first centuries of the church, there, there, there came up a certain group that decided to say that the, the, the God Jesus preaches is separate from the God of the, the New Testament. Because they find Jesus to be nice and, you know, doesn't like war. And then they open the Old Testament. Oh, man, blood everywhere. These must be two different gods. So we're not the first people to ask that question. And I think it is a good question. Um, now... The basic answer to that question is that the theology of our scriptures is that the cause of evil, including war and bloodshed in the Bible, is the rebellion of these spiritual entities and the rebellion of humankind. And, and the story is that God, because I, I said, I keep saying that the, the Bible is primarily the story of God. Okay, so what the story of God is telling us is that God willfully inserts himself into our culture and our time and walks with us. So the Bible is mostly written at a time where bloodshed and war was the order of the day. Yet we see God still stepping into that story. Every generation has its own brokenness. Ours, you know, we, there's still a lot of warmongering around the world. Uh, uh, you know, sexuality is all over the place. Uh, corruption is still the order of the day. Um, the, 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 the slaving of minds by social media. is. So we also have our own problems, yet God chooses to step into our story in this generation, doesn't he? So... The story of God is intricately intertwined with the people he steps, uh, he steps into. These stories are written at a time where, where war and violence is the order of the day. We look at the Bible with 21st century eyes and we go, oh, why couldn't God do something? That was the order of the day. And, and so here, here's the thing I want to, 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 to uh, invite us to learn about reading scripture. The, the question isn't whether there's war, because that's happening everywhere. You look at all ancient history, it's just war and violence. The question isn't whether there's war. The question is, what is this story saying about Yahweh? And a lot of times, uh, a lot of times these, these stories uh, paint, paint a God who restricted violence, paints a God who showed mercy where, where people didn't deserve, paints a, paints a different story of Yahweh. And we'll step into that today. So we know persons by their name, their story, and their character. In the Bible, the name of, the, the, the name of God is given, and then we see his character through the stories. So, most of the stories, even the bloodiest ones, are about God's mercy and grace, even in a time when bloodshed was the norm. There's a lot more stories of God showing mercy. It's just that, you know, it seems cooler to go, oh, look at that. Which sometimes I think is a bit of pride because we end up pretending we love hum humanity more than God could. Ignoring the same problems we cause. Anyway, let me tell you a story about a city. A city so powerful and mighty, 
yet it is unmatched in its brutality. This city was the capital of Assyria of that day. It was uh, Assyria occupied what is, what is now present day Iraq and Syria and Turkey. So this, this kingdom, uh, you know, spread that wide and it spread even further at some point. The things they would do in battle baffled people even of their day. You know, <laughs> imagine someone lying so much that even the politicians go, I, you, you are a different, right? The way the meme appeared was a bit different. It's just not cool for church. So imagine a time of brutality and war, a city so brutal that even people of that time were just going, hey, our now storing in it. I want to read you some of the things their leaders would write. A pyramid of heads. I read in front of the city. Their youths and their maidens I burnt up in the flames. Another one. I cut their throats like lambs. I cut their precious lives as one cuts a string. Like many waters of a storm, I made the contents of their gullets and entrails run down upon the, the, the wide earth. Their heads cut off. I flayed him. His skin I spread upon the wall of the city. Another one. I pierced his chin uh, with my keen hand dagger. Uh, through his jaw I passed a rope, put a dog chain upon him, and made him occupy a kennel. Okay, you remember the list of evil people in history? Did you include these people? Like, some of the things they're writing just makes your stomach turn. Yet this was the order of the day. But even saying this was the order of the day still makes us go, okay, if there is a true God, why wouldn't he do something about that? He does. He calls a prophet. We said that uh, uh, Yahweh has a habit of always working with people. So he calls a prophet. That's the story we want to immerse ourselves in. So Jonah 1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah of Amittai. It sounded to me like Wamta. So do we know which city we are now talking about? Right. This, the word of the Lord came to Jonah of Am- Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh. Preach against it because its wickedness has come upon me. So God does something. I keep saying here that some of the things God is revealing about himself is that oppression makes a sound that he hears. Oppression makes a sound that God hears. Injustice makes a sound that comes up to the Father and he acts. He is merciful and gracious. He's felt the pain of people and he's now moving into action. So he calls Jonah and says, go preach against them because I'm going to destroy them. And um, do you want to know what the prophet did? He gets on a boat and runs away. I mean, I would too, you know. They're a brutal people. Right before you say, hear the word of the Lord, you know, you might be dead. They're brutal people. I would also go. Why would you plant a church in such a city? You know, when, 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 when people go, Lord, I feel like I'm called to plant a church, but not 
not in Pondamali. You know, you know like this is nothing, you know, we, uh, sorry, my dad planted a church there. It's just the name that came to my mind. I've got to be careful. I should have said Nairobi. Anyway, so, <laughs> um, I am now lost. <laughs> what was I saying? Um, so he runs away. He doesn't want to go there. And I can imagine people today are saying similar things. Like, no, 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 God, no one should want these people. They should get what they deserve. Hamas. They should get what it deserves after the terrorism they committed. Israelis should get what they deserve after killing all those children. Oh, there's another uh, Al-Shabaab person killed. Fine, they should get what they deserve. I can imagine some of us are just going, oh, the oppression and the injustice, let them get what is coming for them, so it's okay if Jonah runs. But he runs for a very different reason, and we'll, we'll, we'll see that. So he runs in the opposite direction. And I know we all do that sometimes. We're like, yeah, I should do this, but really, I'll ask for forgiveness tomorrow. Anyway, so then in the middle of the story, there's a bit of poetry about a fish and, and, and it swallows him and he's in there. He cries out to God, the fish pukes him out and, um, and he decides to go finally and preach and he goes and preaches. Let's get back into the story as scripture tells us. Jonah chapter 3 verse 6 to 10. So he's preached to the city. When Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. This is the proclamation he issued in Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let people or animals, herds or flocks, taste anything. They're going to be fasting. Do not let them eat or drink, but let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently to God on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. They were known for violence. So they're going, oh, no, no, give all that up. Cry out to God. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from, the fierce anger, from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. When God saw that they did this and they turned away from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring the dis destruction he brings upon them. What? Such a cruel nation did what? Repented. Okay. That's just surprise number one. Surprise number two, you know, because they say, oh, maybe God will be compassionate towards us. You see, they already know, oh, this, this Yahweh God, the God this guy talks about, he's known to be, maybe he'll have mercy upon us. What? God actually has mercy on them. You see, this is a story about uh, in the midst of a, a violence of a city. But what is the story really saying about Yahweh? That he showed mercy and relented. That's what the story is about. But you know, we're not the only ones going, uh-uh, you forgave such people? What? Even Jonah goes, no, no, that is not right. They should have gotten what they deserve. And he actually thinks God is wrong. Let's read Jonah 4. But to Jonah, this seemed wrong. 
How many might have felt that way? Like, come on, if this is a violent city, let them get what they deserve. It's justice. But to Jonah, this seemed wrong, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord, isn't this? So he starts quoting to God, Exodus 34. I told you this is the most quoted scripture by scripture. So he's praying, and he, goes, he tells God, isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are what? Gracious and compassionate God. You are slow to anger and abounding in love. A God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take my life. For it is better for me to die than, than see this. For Jonah, the problem with God isn't that he shows violence. It's that he is merciful and gracious. It's like, what is wrong with you, God? This is what I knew you'd do. He even feels that what God has done is wrong. They deserve what was coming for them. In the midst of a story of violence. So again, I'm inviting us, as we read scripture, let's, as much as we can, take off our 21st century lenses. Get into the story and ask ourselves, what is this story saying about God? Okay? Okay. So merciful is God that he acts favorably to people who don't deserve it, including his enemies. Have you ever been in a situation where someone did you wrong, they did you bad, real bad, and, and you thought, God, if you love me, punish them for me. And then you see them flourish. They run away with part of your business and their business grows. They say things about you and people love them. Hey, God, come on. They don't deserve that. It seems God has a knack for blessing people even when we don't deserve it. For blessing people, even his enemies. It seems he has a knack, as scripture says, to make the rain fall on the righteous and the unrighteous. To make the sun shine on the righteous and the unrighteous. And it's easier when it's us, right? It's like, oh, Lord, thank you. I know you saw what I did last Sunday, but thank you for showing me mercy. It's easier when it's us. It's harder when it's them. It's even harder when we are the ones who've been wronged. Now, so when Jesus talks about God being merciful, this isn't a new idea of a much kinder God. This is exactly how Jesus sees the Old Testament. It shows a picture of a father who is merciful and acts favorably to her, towards his children. Um, uh, so he, he's steeped in the theology of Exodus 34. When Jesus goes around showing mercy, it is because this is who the father is. When he's on the cross and he forgives people, including the ones who've nailed him, it's not a new thing that God has come across. This is because Jesus is the very image of the invisible God and he's acting in line with his character. He forgives his enemies. But Jesus doesn't just teach and do these things. He models it because we are called to be exactly like our father. There's a story Jesus tells 
of a dad with two sons. The youngest greatly disrespected his father because he wanted freedom. He wished him dead. In my culture, what he did was the equivalent of banging your hand at the table as your dad is speaking and spitting in his face. I'm telling you, I have disagreements with my dad. But it's unimaginable to do that. But that's what he did. Still, the father gives him money that is his share and allows him to cut himself off from him. You're thinking, no, 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 that father should have put a few slaps on the, but you know. The father, this father acts differently. Then this lovesick father would wait every day for the return of the son. He would sit at home going, has he come back? What do you think the uncles, the brothers are to this, fa uh, the brothers this man and the village elders are telling this man? That boy should never show his face in this village again. Right? How dare he disrespect you like that? But the lousy father still waits. Remember, I keep telling us that the stories of Scripture are primarily about God. And so this isn't about a prodigal son. This is about a prodigal father. One day, the kid runs out of money because taxes are high. And he went through an airport and everything was taken. Anyway, he runs out of money. That's, that's the point I'm making. Don't get distracted. <laughs> he runs out of money. He can't get food. He can't get women. And he goes, you know, I'm, I'm going to go back home. And he says, maybe my father will take me back even as a slave. So he's going, I know what I deserve. I know what I deserve. I'll, I'll take what I deserve. Then he shows up and the father sees him. And he's been rehearsing his speech on the road. I know I'll tell my dad. The moment I see him, I'll tell him, I'll tell him this. And he shows up and the father, before he could say a word, the father hugs him. And he kisses him. And he calls his friend. Guys, guys, we have a party tonight. Wait. What's happened? My son has come back. Which one? The one we considered dead. He didn't get what he deserved. The father was merciful, right? And he acted favorably. He restored him. Then there was another kid in the house who now knows that everything that's remaining is technically mine. So he hears music and he's like, wait, oh, come. that kid again. And he goes to the father and he challenges the father's decisions. Come on, seriously? I've been here. I'm your best kid. <laughs> and the father, you know, if your authority is challenged, sometimes you'd go, hey, listen, my stuff is mine. I do with it whatever I want. No, the father responds differently. He says, I love you. Everything I have is yours. What is the father doing? Out of mercy, he's acting graciously. 
Whether we are the ones who've wronged or the ones who've been wronged, God's baseline emotion is always mercy. And his action is always in favor because he's gracious. So Jesus models this. But he invites us to be like that. Luke 6, in one of Jesus' teachings, but to you who are listening, I say, and to everyone who's listening to my voice, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, turn the other also. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt even. Give to everyone who asks you. And, every, and, and if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. And he summarizes it like this. Be merciful, just as your father is merciful. If you wonder what God feels about you, it's mercy. If you wonder how God acts towards you, it's always in favor He's not angry at you, and he never acts maliciously towards you. Over and above that, you're invited to be as merciful as your father is merciful, especially to your enemies, because it's easier to do it with your friends. But some of you think, well, but I don't have enemies. (laughs) Now make another list. Of people who've hurt you, who've caused you pain, who said things about you, who took what was yours. Don't worry, we won't ask for those lists, okay? Or you could put them in the offering basket. No, 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 we won't ask for them. Now make a list of that. The boss, the ex, the family that abandoned you. Those people you would cringe when God blesses them. If we're honest, there are people who just go, what? He got another job. Do they know how much he stole from me? Be merciful towards them as your father in heaven is merciful. But you have no idea what they did to me. Yeah, I know. I I know I have no idea. I bet it's bad. You have no idea how messed up my life is because of them. You're right. I still carry wounds from what they did. You're right. I lost friends, a job, and family because of them. You're right. Be merciful to them as your Father in heaven is merciful. God, Yahweh our God, is not mad at the world. The problem is if you think God is always mad, if you think God is always angry, your baseline emotion becomes anger. (laughs) Because we start to become like what we worship. Your baseline emotion becomes anger and impatience and and resentment and bitterness. God is not mad at you. God is not mad at the world. Now, I'm not saying that God does not get angry. We'll come to that, right? God's baseline emotion is mercy. And I know knowing this intellectually is all good and fine. We can know it. We can... But there's a difference between that and knowing it in our bones or in our heart. I usually use bones, you know, uh, because I feel like what's in our bones is what comes out when 
the tire meets the road. When pressure comes on, what comes out of you is what you truly believe. So it's one thing to know it in our heads because, oh, the pastor spoke about this. God is merciful. How can I show this one mercy? So what do we do? We spend time in God's presence until he makes us like him. We don't change ourselves. We sit with the Father and he makes us like him. That is the place of spiritual disciplines. The reason we pray, read scripture, fast, silence and solitude, practice the Sabbath. What else, Joy? Ah, culture. No, I'm just kidding. The reason we practice these things is not to please God. He's already pleased with you. It's not to earn something from God. He always acts favorably. It's not to become good Christians. The reason we do these things is to practice the presence of God. We stay in God's presence. Someone last week asked, how do I enter God's presence? Just practice, sit, read scripture, be in worship, uh, 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 pray. Whether you feel it or not, my morning prayer is all over the place. Sometimes I just sit there, I'm like, oh, I would really like a nap. And most times I just go back to that nap. And then other times it's like, oh, sweet presence. I'm practicing. That's why we do these things. Another person asks, what do I do when I feel abandoned by God? How do I enter his presence? It's the same. Enter into spiritual disciplines, not to to earn something from God, but to practice the presence of God. And to you specifically, the person who wrote that they feel abandoned, I encourage you to be in community. Because the truth is, sometimes we're in a place where we cannot sing. So we need our community to sing over us. Sometimes we're in a place where we cannot pray. So we need our community to pray over us. Sometimes we're in a place where we cannot stand. And so we need to lean on our community. Though the feeling would be to withdraw... The healing is found not in the loneliness of your anxiety and, and depression. It is in the community. And don't pretend. Just go, it sucks. And sit there. Why don't we stand? I'm going to invite the, the band back on stage. Could our prayer teams come up front? So then the question becomes, I, I also want to finish with this. What are the implications for me? What does this mean for me? One. God is not angry at you. That's a lie. And by extension, God's not angry at the world. What Kenya is going through is not because God is angry at us. What the world is going through is not because God, no, God is, God's baseline emotion is mercy. And he always acts favorably towards you. You don't need to convince God to be kind to you. 
the things you do, you're not buying kindness from God. So when you come to pray, one, you don't have to go, God, I'm the poorest of all. Help me. God, you don't need to manipulate God to be kind to you. You don't even have to say, God, look at all the good things I do. You can come. When we pray in the name of Jesus, we're praying in his nature. You can come before God because he is merciful and gracious. And stand, approach the throne of grace with confidence and say, Father, I need your help. Three, be merciful because your father is merciful, especially to those who've caused you pain. And the best place to start is pray for them. When they come to your mind and you start practicing all the arguments, what you didn't say, what you could have done, what you could have taken also, just go, Father, bless them. And let it break your heart. It's fine. I just want to pray over us. If you need prayer, if you need very specific prayer, I just feel, uh, you know, if, if you're here today and uh, bitterness is just the thing that you're thinking, I can't get rid of this because this is what my, my spouse did to me. Or this is what my boss did, or whatever. We'd love to pray with you. If you're sick and you're in this room, we'd love to pray with you. As I pray over us, please remain in the Father's presence as joy sings over us. And then uh, leave it alone. We have tea and coffee that will be served now. So say hi to someone.